96.7 KCAP LTFM. Los Angeles' only terrestrial architecture radio station. In collaboration with Lookout FM, KCAP will feature programs to fill in gaps of architectural programming by prioritizing the voices and perspectives of those that are most marginalized in the practice and discourses of architecture and art. Proposals are received on a rolling basis through December 2020. Submitted and selected programs will begin broadcasting as soon as they can be put on air. We're accepting many types of content, including sound or audio content that deepens architecture's understanding of and commitment to Black Lives Matter and the movement for Black Lives. Critical content that asks how we can dismantle white supremacy within architecture, including our historical embeddedness in whiteness as a systemic advantage. How-to guides, or emotional, financial, and practical workshops that offer guidance and or demystify some of the less visible and less accessible ways of practicing architecture. Resources for collective care, self-organizing, or mutual aid coalition building in architecture. Visit materialsandapplications.org to learn more about submitting content to KGAP and to get involved in our radio programming. Hi, I'm Brian Orser, an MARC 1 student at the Yale School of Architecture and a coordinating editor of Paprika. A couple weeks ago, I had the pleasure of sitting down with a few members of the Architecture Radio Working Group, a project of materials and applications in Los Angeles. They're working to set up a terrestrial radio station dedicated to programming on architecture, urbanism, and experimental sound. I sat down with them to talk about the project, its history, and where they imagine it going from here. My name is Gabriel Friesbriggs. Uh, I'm an assistant professor in architecture at the University of New Mexico, and part of the KGAP Materials and Applications Working Group with all of these folks. My name is Daniel Lufuoshi. I am a uh, practicing as an architect in LA for a local firm, but I'm also, I've been on the CCMA, which is the kind of programming council for m and for about two years now. I'm excited to be launching the radio project. Happy to be here. My name is Lina Tosnikova, and I'm also part of the Architecture Radio Working Group, and I'm currently working in the Department of Architecture and Urban Design at UCLA, but uh, most importantly, together with Eldar, we're working as a, as a artist duo titled Tsvo. So we're exploring the intersection between sound and architecture and environment and, yeah, and materiality. My name is Eldar. And I work with Lena, as she said, uh, with a project called Zwo, where we kind of try for a few years now to merge her experience in uh, architecture and visual art with my experience with sound and experimental music composition, which I personally have been involved with for, I guess, 10 or more years already. Um, and recently we joined the architecture radio group, the KGAP which is in its early stages and we're kind of like developing it and talking to the guys for the last couple of weeks, uh, seeing what we can do with it. It seems like there's a couple pieces here. There's, there's the programming, there's the, the organization behind it all, but there's also the antenna, like uh, the, the, the physicality of it is exciting too. It's so old school, but um, can you tell me a little bit about what it took to, to get that side of things set up? I, I feel like I'm the token antenna person, but I mean, really the, the like 96.7 FM, the broadcasting from Burbank, California, came out of a lawsuit, started maybe about a decade ago, I think, where people were asking the FCC, like, there's this mandate for low power FM stations 
to have access to the airwaves so that community organizations, smaller groups can host and produce radio stations. And they weren't doing that. And so the lawsuit was, I don't know, victorious. I'm not a lawyer. I guess that's the technical term. And a number of organizations and nonprofits, I think across the country, but certainly in Los Angeles, were given access to a radio station for the first time. So some of those organizations were Machine Project, Dub Lab, I think Film Anthology Archives, um, and they were often in sort of partnerships. So groups were paired together because it's kind of a huge undertaking to do a radio station. And it was really about a year ago when the kind of window that we had to set up a radio station was starting to close that we just kind of galvanized our resources and I think material and applications is really good at bringing lots of people with different types of knowledge and skills together to do that and found someone who maybe lived in the tiny little area where we were allowed to have our antenna broadcast. I mean, really like very constricted geographically and we're lucky enough to have some access to a backyard, set up an antenna, a receiver and have the sort of support of people like Dub Lab and others who have some experience to how to have every hour you have to say your call letters and every so often you have to actually have the test for the emergency broadcast system. So there's all these little pieces that were kind of technical and hard to get up and running. And then I think over the past year, there's just been this idea for now, what, what can we do with this and what kinds of programming can this support? But it is currently broadcasting if you drive through or reside in Burbank, California. This idea that it's in a place and has a small range is is really interesting to me. I was reading a piece by Tetsuo Kagawa about mini-FM radios in, in Japan in the 80s, and what they were so excited about when it was first starting out is that it was literally only reaching like three or four blocks, which in Tokyo was 10,000 people or something, but still they loved that it was you had to be there to hear it, and, and people actually started coming into the station. Uh, and it created a physical community, too. I'm wondering if, if y'all could speak to that kind of placeness of, uh, of a, a radio station. Materials and Applications is, is an architecture-focused kind of a non-for-profit, so it's interesting that, that we would get a radio station because there aren't that many, I don't know if you know of any, but there aren't that many architecture radio programs out there at all. So I think initially the fact that it was kind of a local antenna, and we are working on getting actually more receivers to expand the range beyond Burbank, but I do think that that locality was something that was really fascinating because even in its conception, materials and applications, it began in Silver Lake, and it was really about like bringing together the community to produce this thing, whether it's um, finding local artists and then having them exhibit their work or literally bringing people from the community together to build these things together. So that sense of uh, togetherness has always been sort of integral to the operations of the organization. But I think the fact that we live in this digital era and everything's moving, you know, to like Zoom and virtual meetings anyways, that radio being this something that you experience in a local space isn't really a thing anymore. I mean, with, with things like Radio Garden, you can access radio stations from all over the world at this point. So I think the interesting thing, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is the fact that it is the low power, like LPFM, like that is kind of this, this niche market that oscillates, or, you know, maybe it just kind of navigates a very specific uh, space that I think we're going to really try to capitalize and, and get some really interesting stuff on the on the airways. The best analogy that I heard someone describe, like how the radio station sort of 
market system works is that there's like these huge stations broadcasting and giant antennas and they're all like big beach balls occupying the airwaves and then like if you imagine like the sort of space between beach balls where they can't quite touch there's like these little low power fm tiny beach balls and that's what's kind of interesting about that is what damien's saying is geographically it even more sort of brings people together and so i know we're just starting to sort of think about like what that programming could be but because it's a kind of limited area, even with boosters, we'll see what our capacity can be. But it brings people maybe through a smaller area, and if sort of live programming begins to think about like what is relationship between the sound and the sort of the city or the neighborhood or even architecture, how could we put programming into that space and have people interact in a sort of confined area, not dissimilar from like the three or four blocks, hopefully a little bigger that you were talking about in Japan. That kind of makes me think of the concept of soundscape or like sonic ecology or something that like it's the other side of things like that you're contributing to recording and kind of engaging with the sound of the city. I mean, I'm imagining like driving through L.A. and listening to somebody talk about urbanism like I've never done that. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily also have to be like conversations as well. So like the programming part can be pretty interesting. And to me personally, I think when you have something smaller and radio in itself is kind of like a step back in technology uh, from what's happening right now. So it allows you to experiment with doing things that haven't been broadcasted before because there are no necessarily rules that we have to follow like a specific schedule or have specific things broadcasted there. So we can experiment, as you say, with like sound ecology or like, I don't know, like sound of construction and things like this, you know that have more kind of, I guess, meaning to us as a like society rather than playing music, for example, in that sense. And plus the element of discoverability that you actually have to work to find it, you know, that also plays an important role, I think. Or I guess like it's kind of a beautiful concept in my view. Yeah, there's a moment when you're going to turn it on, like there's a moment of chance, like a like a, a temporal quality too to where you are and, and what what mood you're in when you when you find mm-hmm. that track or something. Yeah. And I feel like radio is always like it's kind of like T V but T V I feel like is always more uh intrusive because it has to do with visuals, so you have to like pay constant attention um there with radio. It's purely sound in general, so that's what captures your attention or it doesn't. So that part, I think, is uh, pretty interesting. And yeah, like just because you have to do it yourself, you know, like and find it and engage with it. Yeah, also uh, pedagogically thinking, even the way that we perceive the, the process of listening, that's, that's another part of the experience because you really like, depending on the content, which varies and can vary, but that requires a different sort of attention. I think that's, that's one of the beautiful things of the audio and sonic language. And with architecture being heavily like visual, that's something that I think architects could learn or like polish. Yeah. And in a way, it's also like what I wanted to say, kind of forgot, that radio has to do with like the element of letting go in a way of control, because most of the media these days is kind of concerned about having full control of what you're getting at every moment, whilst with radio, you can let it go. And it would be interesting to us as well to experiment with this concept from the programming side as well. I feel like because programming like radio or TV always involves with like something very rigid and that's something that has to follow. But 
for example, broadcasting a soundscape that's happening live right now, I mean, like, it's also like an element of kind of letting go and just experiencing what's happening in a particular area through a particular, like, radio station. I think we all have our these, like, ideas just forming, and I don't know if, Brian, you know exactly, like, where we are in this process, but, like, the programming side is really just beginning, and we there's, like, partners like Lookout FM um, and other people that Gia's been working with through Michelle's applications to think about, like, how do you fill up all that time? But there's also an open call out, and it's incredibly open. I mean, I think that we may have our own ideas, but I'm just really excited as some of that content is slowly starting to come in, the way that archives, narratives, original sound pieces, interviews, all these things that, yeah, we don't have this experience of being able to, like, tune into on a dial or even kind of the Internet, except when we are seeking it out ourselves very intentionally. So I kind of don't know. <laughs> it's a kind of great open question right now in terms of what types of things might be broadcast from this antenna within the next few months. I do think one of the super interesting things that's sort of happening right now is that the fact that it is a 24-7 station means that there has been programming running this entire time, and it is currently on sort of a randomized feature. So when we were talking earlier about sort of like the episodic nature of moving through L.A., right, like you'll hear different languages, different types of sounds, construction, you know, traffic, all kinds of things. The station is sort of operating in that realm as well. So like you'll move from some ASMR-esque, you know, description of of food to, you know, uh, an, an interview with the section head at Knowlton School of Architecture at Ohio State. You know, so it's like it's really just like that juxtaposition of just like kind of highbrow, lowbrow that is, I think, is super productive. I hadn't really thought of all the resonances that it has with the urban structure or just urban experience. I think what's really exciting to me about audio is, Lena, you, know, you were saying, is that it de-emphasizes the visual. And, and I'm thinking, I'm a student right now, so thinking a lot about that as I develop approach to studio. And I'm taking sound design right now, actually, and learning about the space that's in sound and, and exploring the spatial qualities of sound and the sonic qualities of space and all that. I think there is kind of a moment of paying attention to something else that's really effective in this moment when we're so saturated by images that are pulling us apart and teaching us things that just aren't true. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also kind of like the story of the music overall of the 20th century and the emergence of sound art that kind of call from people involved in creating sound-related work to pay closer attention to what's happening around us orally instead of like the visual element. And even from the compositional standpoint, we can see that even in the late 19th century and early 20th century, uh, the primarily tools for composers were using melody or like just musical language that involves like instrumentation that's already defined, like canonical in some sense. And then after that, uh, more and more items became part of the music itself. And then the field of acoustics became a pretty important aspect of composition itself. So, I mean, like John Cage's pieces, when the space where things are happening is more important than what's necessarily the sound themselves, you know? From that perspective, I feel like it's still a format that, like, I always get, like, surprised when I hear people are listening to the radio because when you do have control and then I sit with a friend in the car and he discovers some like local radio station. And I remember here I had a friend who at one point discovered KXLU 
And he really resonated with the programming there. And like that kind of creates a relationship between you and your urbanity as well, because that only happens in that area. So I don't know. Um, it's interesting how we'll be able to kind of mix all of those things that accumulated over the last hundred years in a yeah. pretty old format, you know? Yeah, there is another thing, like last year I was exploring the potential of sound in architecture and it's a lot to do with the narrative as well because the sound has such a huge potential and like it's an immediate, it evokes an immediate response. So for instance at SciArc, that's one of the mediums that they primarily put as a driver for the story and then I think it was 2018 when Serpentine in uh, Kensington Gardens they started the augmented architecture program and the winning entry was titled Deep Listener. So essentially it was a, a kind of a journey through the Hyde Park in Kensington Gardens where you would see the augment, like the pieces that uh, were kind of like abstract in, in nature and then you would hear the echoacoustic altered the places but at the same time it was kind of like a joint narrative between the sound and the visual and that's architecture program. So I think this, the shift is there and really clearly with virtual reality and the spaces that we create digitally and virtually and we experience in that way, sound becomes dominant as well. Um, I'll have to jump to another call, but I wanted to say thank you for the opportunity to speak about, um, about the subject and um, I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of the conversation. I think there's, it's just in sort of this tracing of like how sound and acoustics have shifted a little bit in, in the relationship to architecture as well. I, I think of radio as one of the sort of examples for Marshall McLuhan of cool media, or no, of, of hot media, of media that is like sort of spoon fed to you, like here's the sound, everything, you know, you don't interpret it, it's just given to you, right? Versus a cool media like literature or something where you kind of have to interpret that yourself. And I feel like that there's also been a shift in some ways because of our credible overload stimulation capacity for taking things in that for me, I would really think of radio now, or sound in particular, as a cool media that actually, in concert with space or with geographies or with different things, does relate much more to a kind of subdued stimulation than maybe we used to associate it with. So I... I think that the kind of the slowing down or maybe Zelda said like the kind of older old school or retro nature of that technology also mirrors the shift in the way that we think of and perceive that technology and it's really interesting to think of how to not just produce it as a unit but how it might relate to different spaces or different geographies or different places that are trying to be evoked via that sound but does really require quite a bit of interpretation in my mind. And probably a lot has to do also with like general expectations because when the media like came to be, it got utilized by like group of people who had a certain power. So they were able to shape it and it, like equivalently, like they would shape the perception of people what to expect from this media. These days, I think when like, for example, with low power stations where we're able to kind of take a little more of a control, there is a potential for reshaping it. My personal story where like I... I wasn't, I wouldn't say like that I'm the person that would grow up like listening to radio. Like there were like few moments in my life where there was like a certain program at certain time, you know, where I would tune in. But a lot of times I did feel that 
whatever is happening on the radio does not necessarily resonate with me. So it's not part of what I'm interested in. And then there were like those moments, as I mentioned, where like I would be with a friend who would discover a certain radio station that doesn't broadcast everything that you would expect. They like even the music program is slightly different. Or um, my personal experience was when we were we were like in Iceland and we rented a car and we were traveling across the country there. And we only had radio there to tune into. So we tuned into the radio, which was like, I didn't know what kind of radio station it was. But what surprised me was that they broadcasted experimental music concerts. And so you would drive in a car and what you're listening to is like a bunch of people banging on cans, on metallic cans. And that merges with the environment around you. And that creates absolutely different feeling than what I would usually expect when you have like this very kind of high octane music that's just what you already expect. And that's everywhere. Like when you click through every station, you hear the same thing. So when you tune into a some station that doesn't correspond to what's going on around and it's like something else that has potential to resonate with people who never had this opportunity before with radio I feel like that kind of opens up a loophole to like a particular audience that never like found radio interesting before at least like that what I felt myself I think what's fascinating about that is the fact that and I think you're the exact type of listener that we're hoping to find is like somebody who's, who's actually open to unknown soundscapes right because I think mm-hmm sort of like, like Gabriel was saying, um, as a result of just the oversaturation of media that we've been dealing with in the last, I mean, as a result of the pandemic as well, it's been just heightened even more than the typical. So I think people are really looking for some kind of escape and release and, you know, cool media as, as described is, has, has become sort of that kind of release. Like I need something that's not a screen to just take me out of this. So, but I do mm-hmm. think that, I think the audio world is just, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it really is, so limited right now in terms of like it it hasn't fully been explored in terms of like how you can engage with space geography geology people like you know uh kcrw i think did this um virtual trivia night where they got all these people together to just play trivia that was like the one thing that i'd heard okay radio trying to get people together it's kind of cool but it's it was still zoom based so there was still like the visual aspect was still 100 percent necessary they weren't really trying to divorce themselves from that yet so i think there's a lot of productive space that we can be working and operating in. Yeah. And I just want to give like a little love to putting voices on air still too, because I guess I, because I'm working on a podcast and we're on a podcast. I think, you know, that, that it's also becoming a way to amplify voices and to hear more people than you ever normally would in this sort of explosion of, of audio recordings, but radio in that sense of sort of like voices and even like pirate stations or low power stations or community stations has also always been an incredible resource for mutual aid historically. Mm-hmm. And partly because I think that the kind of the barrier to entry, the having a radio is much lower, let's say, than who has access to broadband or high speed internet, even for Zoom. And you know, it's the same reason that we still have to broadcast every hour the emergency or not every hour, but every so often the emergency sound because it is in some senses, the government's apparatus for dealing with disaster, but on our own scale to think of what stories and what forms of voices sort of create an idea of mutual aid in a community, even if it's an architectural community, is a really interesting question and one that like radio has always been sort of instrumental with. I also have like a shortwave radio license, which is a ham license, which is incredibly nerdy, but I have that because there's like this way that on the one hand, it's the kind of It's not for prepper reasons. It's the kind of resource that just sort of locates you in a specific place, in a specific time, in a weird way. And 
If you want to know a good diner, like tune into a ham radio station wherever you're driving through. Like don't listen to Yelp. Screw all that noise. Dial in and there's just like people listening. It's kind of incredible. So I don't know. I think of that kind of way that radio has historically and can support aid is really important, hopefully, for the project going forward. Yeah, I think also what both of you kind of touched upon right now is uh, like the element of interactivity in radio that is like pretty open to interpretation right now, because from my memory, it, it always was there as a sense. I mean, like, for example, you could call in and ask a certain song to play, you know, like, <laughs> like, but that's uh, always one directional in a way because the radio in the end selects this. So I feel like this could be an interesting opportunity to explore interactivity with the local public to a deeper extent, especially with like something like a low power station, because then you're not kind of responsible for like the nationwide population. You have like your own locale that you can engage with and it's easier to understand what people are interested in in your area and it's easier to like respond to it and give voices to as well. We've been finding that there's a certain kind of story that people will tell when they're not writing. Maybe some people develop the skill of writing in a really narrative and, and, and vulnerable way, but it's there's something about that interactivity with strangers or, or, or with your community, but through the voice. It's like speaking to people, but without having to know them or something like that. And, and also it's, it's exciting to think about all of the, the nonverbal content that's in the voice as well. I've been thinking about lately, just the, the subtext or the tone, all of those things, and the room tone, all, all of those kinds mm -hmm. of... Uh, contextual things that you can pick up and learn about each other through, I guess. Yeah, yeah it's, it's almost primal. I mean, like, the, the <laughs> reaction to it, it's just one of those things that we really can't do without. I mean, screens or whatever, on, on some level, right? Like, so everyone's phone breaks at some point in time. Everyone's So, like, things like power, power will always be something that's finicky in terms of our connection to it, but translating something, anything, an idea, um, a song, a story, um, Hard, heartache, hardship, all these things are just so much, they're just felt differently when it's a voice-to-voice -voice or as opposed to a screen-to-screen -screen type thing. I know you keep saying it's a, it's a big question mark, but uh, I mean, what are the craziest ideas that, that you have rolling around in your heads? We did a submission for like a festival in Berlin as like an uh, essential, like an interactive performance piece for, for radio. That is open-ended because right now it's up there, submitted, and uh, even if this does not happen, I think something like that, essentially it's a performance piece uh, where two people engage with local radio stations and they use the radio as a sound source. Uh, and we used uh, Mapping Inequality project, which basically has different cities mapped out based on like the income and like social belonging where the social groups belong uh, and it uses like four colors and we wanted to use uh, the map as an instrument and then radio as a sound source basically where it's uh, essentially like a sonification based performance where you interpret the colors and position on the map to sound but based on the state of it right now it's uh, a an application in progress, so we're not sure where it will go. But I think like projects like this would be interesting to explore, even if that one falls through. In general, we were talking about broadcasting things again, like like for example, broadcasting soundscapes of construction. It's uh, something that's very related to architecture, 
But very often we kind of experience construction sounds. I personally feel that construction sounds are often experienced as a byproduct, a negative often byproduct of like sonic environment. But as with everything, it's always a matter of perception. So I mean, like when you actually willingly decide to listen to construction sounds, I think you can uncover a lot of interesting things there. I mean, like the rhythms and the textures of it and things like this. So we've been talking about all of those kind of things. And I think uh, another part that I'm personally interested in is uh, I feel like Los Angeles has a pretty diverse underground music community, especially with like experimental music. And so providing a platform for collaboration would be very interesting. Uh, so being open to hearing what other people suggest and maybe also creating kind of environment for cross-disciplinary collaboration. Because my experience being a sound artist who never had experience with architecture before we started working with Liana, that presents like a lot of challenges, but also a lot of interesting solutions. So it would be interesting to see how other people approach, for example, a similar subject or slightly different where like it's people from different backgrounds, but they are working on a project together. Yeah, we're also uh, one of the sort of partners of, I mentioned this briefly earlier, Lookout FM, which is a project of Cameron Stallonis and a few other people. I need to get a better way to describe this, but it's a sort of low power FM or community maybe low-res NPR, <laughs> where uh, we're thinking about, like, if you have, and NPR is this massive volume of content at this point, you know, they often air stories again and again, what would that bucket look like if we were to rebuild that bucket? And, and I love that question. So even if, like Damon was saying, like we're recycling and playing content in sort of these haphazard ways, what do we put into that bucket that we want to be juxtaposed? Um, so there's a few different stations that are, partnering to broadcast that so actually it sort of stitches together a larger area and there's also partners with archives and other methods for building what that content is so that's a that's a really interesting project because in order to fill that time all these little nonprofits like materials and applications everyone has limited resources and we kind of have to band together to create that but rather than tap into something that's larger what would that look like if we thought of it anew I think that's an exciting component of it. And then there's also the idea that this, some, a lot of this content will live online. So, yes, it will have the radio component, but you can also find it and access it more directly, which now just seems really similar in a copycat of Paprika. So, I don't know, we might have to rethink everything. <laughs> um, sort of just like along both of those both of the previously discussed lines, one of the things that I think we are hoping to do in terms of sort of bringing together multiple disciplines is, is reaching out to friends and collaborators and different kind of organizational leaders that we know of locally that are already doing some pretty interesting things in terms of like, uh, for example, um, a former coworker of mine started the Landscape Architecture podcast. And Landscape Architecture, obviously, there's a whole, it's a separate world, but it's very much so still integrated with architecture. I mean, the two worlds, you really can't have one without the other. And I actually met with him about a week ago, and he's just ran me through some of the best interviews that they've had. And they've interviewed everyone from, you know, Thomas Kuhlhaas to um, uh, Vincent O'Neill, who's a skate park designer, um, and then, you know, everything in between. So, like, Alan Compton, the winner of the, um, what's it called? Pershing Square competition. So, like, I think being able to feed in their content as a, as a as a partner slash collaborator into this sort of randomized generator so like intersplicing that with construction sound and i think it really will 
open up the way that people think about some of these things. So rather than just sort of listening to an interview in a vacuum, you're sort of listening to it in this more expanded space uh, where you sort of juxtapose what you're listening to and, you know, splicing it up into smaller, more kind of consumable chunks, um, I think will be a really interesting way to move forward. I'm super curious to see what happens. I think we're all just sort of like winging it on some level, but we, but we feel, we feel confident that, um, <laughs> that the content is there and that people, people are going to tune in. Yeah. And that spirit, maybe we could just use this as like a conversation to generate some content. I was having a conversation with someone, um, about the film Rainer Bannon loves Los Angeles, which is like a British architect comes Los Angeles, imposes his reading on the city. Uh, it's very simple. Um, and then makes a film out of it. I, would love to do that film without Rainer Bannum and his voice at all, which is to say, like, just the audio of maybe recording some of those different areas and sort of stitching together cityscapes without that particular voice as the narrator. <laughs> so I think there's lots of things that various partners and the people involved in pushing us to think about differently. It's interesting what you said about filling the space because it's not a, it's not a precious commodity you have too much of it probably so that really changes probably the way you're looking at how to make those decisions to, pr to produce it you know it's very different than like producing a, a broadsheet publication or something you literally only have three square feet or something this is quite quite the opposite 24 hours seven days a week is <laughs> that's a lot it's a totally different idea of curation which i love because it's like we're all curators somehow in our lives like i'm sure of it most people I think are somehow so the idea that we have to go from this sort of meticulous you know everything from constructing our zoom backgrounds as like perfect sonography to represent ourselves like we do this so much and to think of what happens when you're not so precious with it and maybe giving rise to larger volumes of content and of course there will be some things hopefully that are much more focused and intense and sort of like those nuggets of attention in some ways for many of us um, and hopefully there will be programming that comes out of that more explicitly, like using the kind of relationship of the the territory of the station in a way. But there'll also just be a lot of really, really wonderful noise, I think. that our community cannot physically gather during this time. Materials and applications is utilizing this unique resource of terrestrial radio signal. And we hope to extend this outlet to our audience through a call for content. The content format is open. Interpretive and evocative responses are mostly encouraged and we are interested in sound experiments as well as narratives and conversations and performative art pieces lectures, talk shows, sound and audio projects addressing institutional dialogues and equity, for example, the program that addresses recent Republic of Letters, initiated by BIPOC students, faculty and administrators of architectural schools. Another direction is politicization of mask wearing or the face as the new battleground for technologies of the self and different architectural or audio projects that are interpretive or offer varied perspectives or reflections on contemporary culture, 
on Asian diaspora, Asian queer and feminist identity and thought, and all other content that is responsive and relevant to our current moment, including COVID-19, Black Lives Matter, and Defund the Police, and any other timely and pressing issues expressed via Sonic and audio projects.